Hello and welcome to another episode of The Voice for American Law Enforcement. I'm your host, Randy Sutton, a retired police lieutenant with 34 years of law enforcement service, the founder of The Wounded Blue, the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Officers, and the author of A Cop's Life and the soon-to-be-released Rescuing 911, The Fight for America's Safety. Thanks for joining me again on another episode of a show that is all about law enforcement. And I got a great guest waiting for us in the interview room, so let's bring him on right now. His name is Douglas Parker. He is a 30-year veteran of the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. I'm going to bring up his, uh, his uh, bio here for a minute. He's the CEO and president of 7-8 Technologies, and he is the creator of an incredible new law enforcement service called the Thin Blue Defend. This is really this is going to be really interesting for uh, for my law enforcement audience out there. So uh, uh, Doug has over 30 years with Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Uh, he has uh, he's worked with uh, with law enforcement officers involving major uses of force for many years. He's been a consultant to attorneys. And uh, as a result of his experience, he developed a mobile and web-based app called Thin Blue Defend, which officers used to collect data from a critical incident in anticipation of criminal and or civil litigation. It's now uh, nationwide and available at thinbluedefend.com. Thanks for joining me today, Doug. Thank you. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to come in and talk about your uh, your career and also about the um, the the new app that you've developed. Yeah, uh, definite pleasure to be on your show, and thank you for having me. And good to talk to you again. Uh, we met out in Phoenix a while back, so good to connect back up. Thank you, sir. Well, so I, I want the audience to know that yeah, Doug and I connected um, a couple of years ago. I think it's been. And he was in the development stage, and he and we we talked at length about um, about use of force and about the 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 many uh, pitfalls that officers find themselves when it comes down to critical incidents. And uh, Doug was in the development stage of what I recognize to be something that that could be. I mean, when I I don't want to sound dramatic, but it could be life saving. Uh, definitely for career saving uh, for law enforcement officers. So uh, we've been we've been staying in communication all this time, and now finally you've given birth. You've given birth, <laughs> Doug, to this incredible new app. So first of all, let's talk about what your uh, your your uh, um, history has been involving law enforcement, and then we'll get into why you developed this this incredible product. Yeah, I grew up in a law enforcement family. My dad was chief of police in Clayton County below Atlanta and uh, uh, was very interested in law enforcement because of that, because he took me on a liquor steel raid when I was 14. We got shot at. So it was in my <laughs> okay. blood. So I had, yeah, I had to, had to stay in law enforcement, though. I was good friends with Chick-fil-A, Truett Cathy, and he offered me a Chick-fil-A anywhere I wanted in the United States. And I had to turn him down because of, you, you know, it's a calling. You, you've got to do it. I could have been definitely well off with money, but that, that's not the purpose uh, when you get into law enforcement. You turned down a Chick-fil-A franchise? <laughs> yes, sir, afraid so. <laughs> okay, well, that certainly shows your commitment to law enforcement, I can tell you that. All right, so talk about, uh, many people don't know what the GBI is. If you would, fill them in a little bit. 
Sure, real quick, we're a requested agency. In other words, if your house gets broken into, you couldn't call us. We were asked by sheriffs, chiefs, district attorneys, and the discretion of the governor to uh, work on cases. And they were mainly the major cases, you know, mainly homicides, the robberies, child molestations, those types of things. And we're also uh, very much in dignitary protection during the time uh, we were assigned. I was assigned to the Olympics in Atlanta for uh, over a year and a half because some of the venues were on state property. Uh, Newt Gingrich was Speaker of the House. Uh, he lived in Georgia. He was not afforded Speaker uh, uh, Secret Service protection when he came back home, so we had to pick him up. So I was on a rotating detail with Newt Gingrich, uh, the Speaker, during that time. But just being called out all kinds of uh, times of the night, day, to work on uh, homicide, mainly homicides. So you and use of force cases, right? Use of force cases for sure. You you guys handle a lot of the uh, of the officer involved shootings, correct? Yeah, and I started back before Graham v. Connor, so the, the the standard was different then. I could just walk in if I could get the officer to say I was in fear for my life. That was the standard, and then it changed. So that's why over the years working those cases, and then after retiring, uh, working with attorneys who represent these officers. Um, I saw a very disconnect between the officer and the attorney as to what information was important and getting that information from the officer to that attorney. That's And so that was the impetus for you to create. And now you've been working on this project for years. So let's talk about this. So you saw a need. Um, I mean, let, let's talk. Let's be very clear that that major uses of force by law enforcement is probably the hottest topic involving this this uh, uh, career field. Um, it is literally on the news every single day. So um, you recognized a, a need. Talk about that need and then how you developed this technology. Yeah, I was working a case four years ago down in Kingsland, a young officer uh, shot and killed uh, a suspect. Excellent shooting, but was charged with uh, well, the DA one charged with murder ended up with a grand jury indictment of involuntary and voluntary uh, manslaughter. And I was doing the walkthrough, the forensic walkthrough with the officer at, of course, at the time at one o'clock in the morning when this happened. And after, I was asking this officer, you know, what were you thinking when you did made this action or made this move? And he would tell me and I would say, and I already knew what he had told his attorney because I got in a week later and I said, well, why didn't you tell your attorney that last week? He said, well, I didn't think it was that important. After the third, I don't think it was that important. That's when it went off in my head. I said, we've got to have a way for these officers to get this important information to their attorney because the attorney wasn't there. Nobody was there. And in, uh, the, the Supreme Court ruling says that comes from the officer's mind. In other words, what was reasonable given those facts and circumstances during that incident. And that's what is important. All right, let, I'm going to stop you right there because what you what you just gave is probably the most critical information that my viewers and listeners can can fully understand. Um, the 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 use of deadly force is is by its very nature uh, the most important decision that a police officer, law enforcement officer, can make in his entire career, uh, maybe in his an entire life. So. Uh, there have been there have been um, adjustments or changes in the 
in the legal uh, definition of being justified in using deadly force. So let's talk about what you just said, because this is critical information and also very, very germane to why you created what you did. Let's talk about the, the legal issues now of when a police officer makes a decision to use deadly force. Yeah, um, and again, getting that information out, but um, according to the, the rulings, is being able to answer those cognitive questions. Again, it's not how many times did you pull the trigger, it's why did you pull the trigger? And that's what really needs to be brought out. Uh, and again, you gotta understand this app is for the officer's defense. This is not for the department. It's not for an agency. This is in anticipation of civil and or criminal litigation. Okay, um, so what this app does is um, allow a kind of like an organization, organized um, thought process for the officer to guide him through um, what is going to be required for his defense. Is that is that a fair characterization? Yeah, sure. Because even to the uh, and this one officer was fighting on the ground with a suspect. Later on. Uh, started having medical issues with headaches and some body parts that were hurting. But at the time he said, I, I don't need to be seen by an EMT. Well, that became very important because up on the stand, when this officer was testifying, by the way, we got not guilties on these charges. Good, good a to hear. Great attorney also. Um, you know, the, the DA actually, the ADA actually admonished the officer said, well, you know what, this wasn't in your initial report. Are you just now making this up to try to fit the narrative in front of these jurors? Right, and this is why this is so critical. Um, you know, I, having been involved in, in several officer-involved shootings, uh, I know from my own experience that there is such, uh, there's such a, a rush of, of information, of of emotion, of fear, um, of of the of consequences. There's so much going on in your brain when you're involved in a critical incident like this that to organize the thoughts is really really difficult. So so let's talk about about the app itself and what it does to help these officers. Yeah, and actually, I have a lot of attorneys that have purchased that because they want it on their phone as they interview their own client to make sure that all that information is brought out. But it's just a process. Uh, the whole app is um, user-friendly. Uh, you don't have to type anything, which there are places to type, but mainly drop-down boxes and a place for your audio to access your audio recording and your camera. And I lead you through tons of categories uh, based on a lot of situations that I've seen and been in myself to document that process. So it leads you through it. Uh, and then you're able at the end to hit a button and it sends it to your attorney in a file. All right, a, a, a legal question. Um, you know, discovery is, is the process in which both the, the defense and the prosecution have to give information to one another um, for preparation for trial. That's, that's basically what, dis, what, quote, discovery is, unquote. How does this app, how does, how does the, the discovery 
um, issues. How does it affect this app? Well, that'll be based on the attorney. I mean, because you're providing this only to your attorney. So your attorney will make that decision as to, you know, exchange of information through the discovery process. Um, so that'll be done through them. So is this, so would this be considered um, attorney-client privilege because this is a communication only for your attorney? Right, and since it's only to be used on a personal cell phone, um, you, this is labeled as attorney-client work product. In fact, if it is hooked up to a, uh, you know, a law enforcement device, they're met with advisement so that. But the good thing is, when you are online inputting this information within, within the app, nothing is stored on your personal cell phone. It goes immediately to an encrypted cloud uh, where that's protected. So nothing is stored on your phone. So, okay, so this is, you know, this is relatively new. When did, when did this go into use? commercially? About three weeks ago, we had a local sheriff's department here that helped us out through the testing and uh, provided us, you know, bodies when we needed everybody just to touch buttons, make sure everything worked. But uh, it went nationwide then with him. He was the first one. So this is brand spanking new. And you're hearing it, folks, you are hearing it here first on The Voice for American Law Enforcement. And that's what this show is all about, is about getting information about cutting edge technology as this is one of them. But still, the challenges are in the future for you as far as, you know, because this is so new, that there are going to be um, legal challenges down the road. Don't you agree? Oh, sure. And we're preparing for that. Uh, but as far as right now, we are patent pending. Uh, we do have a copyright on the material. So it is protected information. Now that doesn't, uh, you know, stop someone from trying to copy us. But um, there again, we're trying to help the police officers. So um, we want this to really go nationwide to help protect these officers. Because one proof of concept, and I can't discuss the case because it's still in litigation. But uh, in Georgia, an officer can testify before a grand jury. The officer prior to going to grand jury prepared a page and a half. Uh, when we went through this app, it turned to be turned out to be 35 pages long that was provided to the grand jury, and there was a no bill on that one. Wow, that's 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 a big deal. That's a big deal. I'm, you know, the, when you're thinking about, you know, you're you're a member of a police agency, you're a law enforcement agency, you know, in your mind that you may be called upon at some time in your career to make a deadly force decision. And you try to prepare mentally, you try to prepare physically, you go to the range, um, you go to training, but rarely do we think about how, what the consequences are going to be legally. And we have seen, you know, uh, and part of, you know, what I'm going to talk about after our interview is done is what I call the war on cops. And the war on cops is not just physical. The war on cops is sociological. The war on cops is legal. You know, we're seeing more and more district attorneys, quote, activists, unquote, district attorneys who are targeting law enforcement officers when they use deadly force, no matter how justified it is. So having every tool in your tool bag as a, as a law enforcement officer is critical. And so tell me, tell me how um, I know you worked with, with a police agency to get this, you know, basically test this app. How do officers obtain it, and what, what are the costs involved? 
Yeah, just go to, like you said, www.thinbluedefend.com, and there's a sign up there. Uh, what we're doing is we're offering individual users, uh, for if you pay a whole year, I think it's $239 for a year, but we're offering if an agency will contact us, we will give, depending on how many people or how many officers you have, we'll give a discount based on the number of officers that the agency uh, employs. Now, if the a question is, if the if the department is paying for it, does that give more? I mean, does the department then have access to the records? No, it's just like uh, an agency that pays for a PBA or FOP. But the agency has no access. In fact, we don't have access to the information ourselves that's placed into the app. Got it. Okay, yeah, that's interesting, and it's also that's critical information as well. Um, so, as of now, I mean, literally, you're three weeks into this. You got to be really excited about the opportunity here. That literally, the, I mean, you could be you could be saving the careers of thousands of police officers in the future. Um, what's been your feedback from the law enforcement officers that that use this? Yeah, again, some of them do have hesitation because they think that information is stored on the cell phone and they're worried about, you know, search and seizure uh, on their device. But again, we've addressed those issues. But yeah, I mean, uh, what we've had from the ones that I've helped represent over the year, over the past two or three years, utilizing that, which has been in my head, going through the interview process with them, I mean, it's amazing uh, that they said, I've had statements like, I didn't realize that was important. And, and, and the people that have been in it, uh, critical incidents have said that have seen that said I didn't I wish that I'd have had it then because it would have helped out in my case also sure right well this is this is exciting um, I know and this is you know a culmination of years of your labor I mean do you did you have a technology background I mean because this is <laughs> this sounds like a pretty you know technical piece of piece of uh, of uh, work here it is, and I'm the worst with technology. And somebody told me because my statement has always been, "Give me two dead bodies on the ground." That's what I'm worth. <laughs> and somebody said, "Doug, you're a technology company now." And I said, "Well, I never thought about it that way, but that's what it's turned out to be." Because we have other verticals we're working on, even for the private citizen. God, what about the case in New York, the uh, convenience store worker, uh, to be able to document what happened in that? Again, not so much, you know, the you know what the sh camera shows because. It's what comes from the person's mind as to why that person made the decisions to use force or even tactical movements. Uh, you got to explain all that. And, and the difference in a gun and a taser, taser, you better document every pull of the trigger uh, because that requires a different thought process because things change. You got to, the suspect did this, now I had to pull the trigger again. So that needs to be documented, each trigger pull. All right. Now, is this going to be used? I mean, you, it sounds like you can use this for, for any use of force. Is that correct? I mean, this doesn't have to be a deadly force situation, correct? No, it started out deadly force. But as you have seen what the past two or three years, by gosh, if you just twist somebody's arm thinking there's going to be some civil litigation, you better document, you know, why you had to fight somebody or any use of force. Right. So, so this has, this has so many uses for for law enforcement. I didn't think about the civilian um, portion of this, but I mean, because I mean, every every cop knows that 
you're going to be in a fight. You're going to be in a use of force situation right. somewhere down the road, right? So this seems to be like, uh, you know, uh, uh, just like having a tool on your duty belt that you're going to be you, that you need for your, uh, you know, for your career. So a cop, this is this is a no brainer for me as far as you know having having this this uh, service at your at your fingertips. But I wouldn't even well, think about a civilian. Yeah, but think about it, Randy. If you shoot somebody and your your department terminates you immediately, you have no access to anything they have, even your training records. I mean, it, there's a few extra things in where we do keep up with training records. Uh, you know what what you've received in training because that will become important for your attorney right then. And so you're cut off from all that. Uh, it's just like you know cameras or any type of documents within the department. You're out. So we have some uh, places in there to document certain. Uh, information. Well, I think this is an amazing uh, new product that you've brought to you brought to uh, the the field of law enforcement. And uh, I mean, I, I from the moment you told me about it, I recognize the importance of this. And so I'm I'm really happy to help you um, through this program and also through you know what? Let me let me let me say this. You know, my organization, the Wounded Blue, deals with injured and disabled officers literally every single day, and there is a strong nexus here uh, between um, your product and and being injured in the line of duty. Uh, so I am I am really uh, encouraged by what you have created here as another protection, because our officers need all the protection they can get right now. And every exactly. level, every level, and and uh, your commitment to law enforcement, um, you know, even at the at the at the expense of not getting your your Chick Fil A franchise, uh, is to be is to be commended. Uh, I'm never going to let you live that down. I just want you to know that, <laughs> Doug. Uh, so, That's right. um, anything else you want to bring up before uh, before I, I mosey on with uh, with news and information? Yeah, real quick, I, I do think that you and I. Or you know you you're looking at the the physical aspect of wounded, but now like I said, you shot somebody, you're terminated, and you're locked up in jail. And how are you dealing with that mentally also? And you got a wife and two kids. You know she works at a flower shop. I mean, how, how do you deal with that? So uh, yeah, to hopefully ease some of the uh, anticipation or angst of uh, being charged with a crime and being you know put in jail. You know I, I think. These two do go together. And that is is the unfortunate new reality of policing, is that we all have to worry about that um, because we know that there is so much. I call it the, um, the politicization of police punishment. Uh, and that's, that's probably something I'm going to talk about a little later on in the show. But uh, uh, once again, Doug, thank you so much. Uh, how can officers obtain this product again? Yeah, just www.thinbluedefend.com. And uh, we have a, a link there for email if you want to contact us and talk about, you know, uh, what the app does and uh, get in touch with us about pricing. Uh, but, yeah, through the website, that's the best way. Fantastic. Well, Doug, thanks so much for taking the time to join me here on The Voice for American Law Enforcement. And uh, you and I will talk again soon. Man, thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
how the spirit of American liberty and justice is woven into the soul of America out loud. Now we invite you friends to invest some of your time with our magnificent family of experts, their minds and voices. It's all back at AmericaOutloud.com. Liberty and justice for all. Many Americans worry about their health four times a day. That's 120 times per month. To minimize the worries, leading nutritional supplement company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost, an immune supplement that contains full effective doses of science-backed nutrients like vitamin C, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea, all in a one-a-day, pill-free, ultra-absorption ingestible gel. Supporting a strong and resilient immune system can be simple. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code AMERICA50 for 50% off any order of Immune Super Boost. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code AMERICA50 for 50% off. It's summertime. Ready for your vacation to the beach, the lake, or the mountains? But what about your accommodations? Ever wonder what germs were left behind by the previous guests? Kathy G. from Tulsa says the Genesis Fogger gives her peace of mind and confidence when traveling. With Genesis, she knows that the air and surfaces in her vacation rental are free of bacteria and viruses left behind by the previous occupants. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. All right, you've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the povidone iodine-based nasal spray, Cofix RX. They talk about it because it's a product that actually works in combating colds, flus, and coronaviruses. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. It's simple. By attacking viruses where they incubate, you make it easier for your body to heal. Check out the Cofix RX banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and save 20%. By using promo code OUTLOUD. All right, why, uh, while we are on this topic of, uh, you know, how officers can defend themselves, I want to tell you, uh, for all of my law enforcement audience, uh, we have just announced that the second annual National Law Enforcement Survival Summit is going to be held this year October 11th through the 14th in Terre Haute, Indiana. Now, this is four days of some of the best training you will ever receive in your law enforcement career. It is every aspect about surviving a law enforcement career, physically, tactically, emotionally, psychologically, relationship-wise. There's so much here because, you know, when... That time comes where you are, uh, you know, facing some of the most difficult challenges in your life. The time to prepare for it is before. Now, this, this, uh, the, the uh, trajectory of the Law Enforcement Survival Summit, we had the first one last year in Las Vegas. It was incredibly well received. There were officers there from all over the nation. And this is designed for every single rank from a, from a patrol officer to a chief. Uh, I urge you, it is not an expensive deal. The, the, uh, the, the fee is like $295 for four days of training, and then the hotel is 100 bucks a night. 
Uh, you fly into Indianapolis. It's about a 45-minute um, uh, jaunt to, uh, to Terre Haute. We'll arrange that transportation. So go to www.thewoundedblue.org. That's thewoundedblue.org. Go under, hit the event button, and you'll read all about it, and then you can sign up to it uh, through Eventbrite. Uh, any questions about this? If you are a police uh, chief or, or administrator and you want to send a group of your officers, contact me at randy at thewoundedblue.org. That's randy at thewoundedblue.org, and we will make those arrangements for you. Uh, we're holding it in the Midwest this year because uh, we know that the, the number of officers in the Midwest who have been facing life and death struggles has, has uh, risen dramatically. So once again, thewoundedblue.org, the national, second annual National Law Enforcement Survival Summit. Some of the most incredible presenters, Dave and Betsy Smith, who are legendary trainers, um, Jason Schechterly, the Phoenix police officer, who uh, whose story of survival will uh, will just um, bring you to your knees. Um, sheriff Mark Lamb, America's sheriff. Uh, the, the, I mean, the whole lineup is just incredible. So, thewoundedblue.org. Uh, hit the events button. Sign up for the National Law Enforcement Survival Summit. Now, um, why why should we even have something like the National Law Enforcement Survival Summit. And this talks, this once again, I, I'm going to talk about everything that's happening in law enforcement. Um, let's talk about, I mean, it seems like every, every show, there's a couple areas of the country that always come up. New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, because they are such a, a mess when it comes down to law enforcement and the, and the anti-law enforcement lobby. And it is, it truly is. Um, Philadelphia, what's happened to our nation when a, when a headline like this can come out? Philadelphia juvenile brothers, 10 and 14, turned themselves in for the beating death of a 73-year-old man. Now, there's some video attached to this story, which is, it, it's almost impossible to believe that we have created these mutant children because of the uh, out-of-control violence in our nation's major cities. And, and this is just, it's mind-blowing. Video, this is from Fox News. Video released by Philadelphia police shows the 73-year-old man walking down a street, that's all he's doing, before he's attacked by several teens. Two juvenile brothers, aged 10 and 14, turned themselves into the Philadelphia Police Department's homicide unit for their involvement in the death, the murder of a 73-year-old man, James Lambert, who was beaten to death by a group of teens. Disturbing video surveillance of the incident released by police shows the group pursuing the man on a street before striking him with traffic cones. Now, this, is, uh, this occurred at uh, 3 a.m. Now, don't you wonder, what kind of parents let their kids, 10, 10 years old, roam the streets at 3 a.m., okay? Are you, are you seeing maybe a problem here? One of the juvenile suspects appeared uh, to video the attack with a cell phone as the others chased the victim down the street. And, you know, this is the, from the victim's, the victim's niece says this, I just don't understand what's going on in our city. 
He walked that path for 60 to 70 years of his life. And for his life to be snuffed out like that is unbelievable. You know, I... I <coughs> excuse me. I'm rarely at a loss for words when it comes down to, um, you know, the, the, the issues of crime in America. But what have we become as a nation when we, when we have children that are so disengaged with, 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 with compassion and empathy that they are capable of killing another human being, beating them to death? Now, we're not, I mean, do you know how personal that is? What it, what it looks like, I mean, I've seen beating deaths, okay? In my 34 years as a cop, it's the most hideous thing you can imagine. How can a 10-year-old be capable of that? Uh, and, and so I'm going to bring up another, on, actually, on the way to filming today, I was, uh, I was exposed to a news story also on Fox News. And I'm just, it's, it's shocking. This is a, a two-and-a-half or three-year-old child toddler is seen verbally attacking and then physically attacking a uniformed police officer cussing him out telling him i mean the most vile language imaginable and then attacking him a three-year-old two and a half or three-year-old how is it possible what the the parents or whoever was the one responsible for bringing this child up and, and giving that child the exposure to this type of, of vitriol should be in jail. They, they, this is child abuse. Can, think about this. This kid is attacking a cop when he's three years old, verbally uh, and physically. What's going to happen when this little mutation is 15 or 16? And then, because he's attacking the police, now he's not just, you know, now he's, he's emerged into, the, into the, the anti, you know, the, the hatred of law enforcement. Do you think that this attack is going to be just with his hands or feet? Or is he going to pick up a weapon because he's so uh, um, in, engaged in this hatred of law enforcement? And then the police are going to wind up defending themselves or he's going to wind up killing a cop or the cop is going to wind up killing him. And then it's going to be, look at what the police did. The parents of this or the whoever, whoever the family, I don't even know. I mean, I have no idea what the, what the family situation is of this kid other than clearly this is, he, he's, he's been exposed to nothing but, um, uh, you know, violence and, and anti-law enforcement uh, rhetoric that is deeply... Uh, scarred this kid. And of course, how do you deal with it? I mean, watching the police officer try and calm this child, this child down and try and explain that his behavior was wrong, you're wasting your time, right? Once you've indoctrinated children into hatred, I mean, listen, the, the Nazi Germany did it, right? In the, in, the, in the 30s. It created an entire generation of of people that hated others because of their religion or the color of their skin. And now we're seeing it right here in this country where 
children are being indoctrinated and including in the schools don't don't think that the schools aren't part of this you know in especially under the under the lens that we have now seemed to you know every everything looks under you know this racist lens right everybody is accusing the police of being the racists and the schools are part of this process the schools are part of the problem not part of the solution and and as we see this this continue to degenerate into into a, a generation into you know indoctrinating a generation of children uh, who believe that the police are the enemy we're going to see more and more of the violence on the streets uh, both in terms of of the anti uh, law enforcement rhetoric where where police officers are being attacked and and also the the community at large that you know when when there is so much disrespect for for the law and this call to challenge the law on every on every street corner you're going to continue to see what what you know the fabric of our nation erode uh, as we have been seeing it across America. Um, we have almost become inured to the incredible crime surges in our nation's cities. Uh, I mean, it, it's happened so frequently, and so now we're going on literally a couple of years of unprecedented crime growth. <laughs> that, for lack of a better word, um, that now it, it's it's be, it's becoming the norm, and that is sad. That's why. So I'm going to uh, tell you about this book that I've got coming up because it is all about this topic. The book is called Rescuing 911: The Fight for America's Safety, and you can get on the website and take a look at it and sign up to get notified when it comes out by going to rescuing911.org then just put in your email and we'll let you know when the book comes out it's probably going to be a couple months but it is a call to action because what has happened in America with the anti-law enforcement movement is is a is critically important and as Americans if we don't recognize that we are being subjected to an entire lobby of, of acceptance of criminality and a lack of any consequences for that criminality, we're going to continue to be less safe. And when I, when I say less safe, I'm talking about like that 73-year-old man in Philadelphia being beaten to death by a 10-year-old. That's not normal in a society, but this is the mutation of our society being pushed by the anti-law enforcement lobby. So this book, Rescuing 911, we have, there's, it's already happening in America where you can call 911 and nobody's coming because law enforcement has been so devalued that there aren't enough cops to even answer the 911 calls. So go to rescuing911.org, sign up to get the book, read about it, and then join together because this is a this is a call to action that we must all band together for the good of our nation and the safety of our families. Rescuing911.org. Um, you know, I was talking to a police officer uh, yesterday, 
Philadelphia, um, excuse me, a Phoenix police officer. And I had, I, I, every police agency in the country is facing issues about uh, recruitment and retention. I didn't realize how bad it had gotten in Phoenix. They are down hundreds and hundreds of officers. And they gave a police test. Now, Phoenix used to be considered one of the best agencies in the country. It's, it's still considered a top agency. But do you know how many people they were able to graduate from their recent police academy? Five. You heard me right. Not 50, not 500, but five. And this is after they just had almost 300 retirements and resignations. Five officers graduating in a, an entire police academy. And this is like a drop in the bucket. Well, what do you think that's doing to the safety of the people in Phoenix. Um, they are now having to not answer a lot of calls. So when I when I talk about rescuing 911, I'm serious. This is this is real stuff here. If if there isn't if there are not enough police officers on the street, you're in danger. Your family is in danger. And our society is in danger. So, you know, talking to this Philadelphia officer, I was like, what, what, what are you guys, how are your countermeasures? What are you doing to, uh, to recruit? And he told me flat out, he says, we're, we're failing in our recruitment. And this isn't, this isn't, they're not the Lone Ranger here. Uh, there was just a police test given in St. Louis. Now, St. Louis is is like ground zero for anti-law enforcement rhetoric and, and politicians. Their mayor hates the cops. Their senator hates the cops. There's, there's, there, it is just a anti-law enforcement environment. You know how many people showed up to take the police test? Zero. Now, this is unprecedented in American history, I can tell you. When I... When I first was hired as a cop, I'm not even talking about how many years ago it was, it was in a small community in New Jersey where there were only 30 police officers. And they only hired one every like three or four years. I'm going to say probably pretty close to a thousand people showed up for that test. When I, when I tested for the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, there were 5,000 applicants for that job. 5,000. Now they're lucky to get a couple hundred. And then what is happening is that police agencies, in order to attract at least a warm body that may be able to be stuffed into a uniform, they are they're diminishing many officer, uh, excuse me, many departments are lowering their standards for hiring. This is exactly the opposite of what needs to take place. We need the highest quality people to join the ranks of policing. And if we don't, we're going, this is going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy of, of misconduct and corruption. Now, you know, I, as a 34-year as a cop, I saw, I saw, you know, police misconduct. For me to sit here and say it doesn't occur, I would be disingenuous and I'd be lying to you. But I have seen law enforcement evolve over the, my decades about and professionalizing. 
and being more sensitive when it comes down to the issues of of use of force of race and and development and and evolving is is part of human nature and needs you can't you can't push a button and change culture immediately but i have watched the culture change and it has been much more hardy the the culture of change in law enforcement than many people give it credit to and yet you still see you still see the um, anti-law enforcement lobby just demonizing law enforcement across this country. Um, here's a headline which illustrates that. Violent mobs attack Chicago police in two separate incidents. This is uh, from uh, Police Tribune. Violent mobs attack Chicago police officers in their vehicles in two separate incidents and at least one officer was injured in the chaos. The first incident occurred at the Six Corners intersection when a violent crowd attacked a police SUV. The officer was patrolling the area when someone threw something at the law enforcement vehicle and smashed the windshield. The officer called for backup, and when additional officers arrived, the crowd erupted into chaos. Cell phone videos of the attack posted to social media, of course, showed the crowd surrounding the police vehicle kicking and banging on them. Some of the mob even jumped on the police vehicles and pounded on the windshields. One officer was hurt during the melee, had to be transported to the hospital. No arrests. Second incident occurred shortly after midnight. Cell phone video uh, showed a, a crowd in the loop advancing on police vehicles that had their lights on as the officers slowly backed away. Videos showed fireworks being shot directly at the police vehicles stopped in traffic. Several of the incendiary devices struck their intended targets and exploded. No injuries were reported during the second attack and no arrests were made. And yet, in that same holiday weekend, July 4th, 54 people had been shot between Friday and Saturday nights. You have lawlessness and a complete lack of fear of consequences by these animals that are attacking the police. And I'm, I don't really give a, uh, a damn about uh, political correctness here. Um, if you are, you're going to try and hurt a law enforcement officer with either a weapon or fireworks, which can kill or blind, uh, you're an animal and you deserve to be dealt with as in, in, uh, at the level of defending your life as far as being a police officer. You know, here's the thing. I was doing a national uh, TV interview and somebody asked if I could change what's happening involving policing, what would it look like? And I said, I would bring back the fear. And the interviewer looked at me askance and said, what do you mean? I'd bring back the fear of the police. And the interviewer said, well, isn't that the antithesis of what we're looking for? I said, no, because you should be fearful of putting your hands on a police officer. You should be fearful of the consequences of what's going to happen if you resist arrest. You should be fearful of attempting to injure an officer. You should be fearful of trying to 
uh, undermine an arrest or take a, a prisoner away from a cop. These are things you should be fearful of. And unfortunately, as we have, uh, as we have emasculated law enforcement in the sense of uh, telling cops, don't put your hands on people, don't use force, don't, don't do this, don't do that. You're going to get in trouble. You're going to, we have taken law enforcement and we have literally taken the, to the teeth out of the tiger. And unless there are consequences for crime, you're going to continue to see mobs like this attacking law enforcement officers. And then the police are surrendering and just backing off and saying, oh, we're not even going to make any arrests here. That should be fearful. That should be a, a, a fear of every single American. Because if the police officers can't defend themselves or won't defend themselves, what's it going to look like for you? When they're asked to defend you, this is the very nature of what's happening in America today. And yet, then remember I said I always it seems I'm always talking about Chicago, New York, L.A. And yet you have a you have another activist district attorney in Manhattan, Bragg. And what does he do? I mean, it, he doesn't want to prosecute anybody for anything. But here's a headline. New York City bodega owners urged District Attorney Bragg to drop murder charges against Jose Alba. If you haven't followed this case, this is shocking. Um, New York City bodega owners are calling on Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg to drop murder charges against a clerk who killed an ex-con that was attacking him. The calls for mercy come as city council members on both sides of the aisle have asked the embattled district attorney to drop the charges. Alba, 61, 61 years old, was seen on camera fighting off an attack from this punk named Austin Simon, 35 years of age, who was attacking him and beating him. And in order to defend himself, the store clerk stabbed this punk and he died. Well, too bad. And then, and then the suspect's girlfriend stabbed Alba, they didn't even charge her. No. Who does the district attorney charge? He charges the guy who is being attacked. This world has gone mad. And at least the, the public is, is the outcry from this is, is beginning to crescendo. There needs to, just like, you know, the, the district attorney in San Francisco was just recalled. Hallelujah. Chesa Bowden, one of the worst district attorneys in the country. Now there's a major uh, uh, movement afoot to get rid of Gascon, the district attorney in Los Angeles. There is a movement to impeach Krasner in Philadelphia, who, who has led to the, this attack by, the, by children who are, who are murdering people. Um, the soft on crime district attorneys. The correlation is so clear that it's it's stunning. Well, now Bragg needs to be recalled or impeached, whatever the whatever the uh, um, methodology is used in in New York. But how do how do these people get get elected? Well, through incredible amounts of money, much of it provided by George Soros. So I'm going to read this. George Soros is one of the most evil creatures on the planet. He's been funneling millions and millions of dollars into the anti-law enforcement 
um, lobby. And now he is trying to purchase every single Spanish radio station in order to flood that with disinformation. Now, there, I could go on and on and on, but we're coming to the, the end of our show, and I want to talk about two things. One, police officers, the war on cops. One of the ways that, that, you, that my law enforcement officers were listening, you need to go to officerprivacy.com. You need to go to officerprivacy.com because that is a measure of, of protection for you and your family. It's, it was, uh, it's technology was created by a retired police officer. Uh, and he's done. He's he has been incredible in 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 safeguarding the ability to dox you on the internet because your your information is out there. You need to get that information off the internet, where you live, the cars you drive, your wife, and the only way to do it is officerprivacy.com. Go to it, um, reach out to them. It's not expensive. It can literally afford a level of protection. For you and your family, and it is critical. So go to officerprivacy.com. They're great people over there. It's law enforcement uh, owned, and uh, and they're doing amazing work. Officerprivacy.com. Um, so at the end of this show, I I do what's called end of watch, and and I can't believe the number of officers. Uh, there's been a two week hiatus in this show uh, because I couldn't film last week, but I'm gonna I'm gonna read you those officers who given their lives in the line of duty. Police officer Jacob Russell Chaffins, Prestonburg Police Department, Kentucky. Captain Ralph Frazier, police officer Jacob Chaffins, Deputy Sheriff William Petrie of the Floyd County Sheriff's Office were shot and killed in Allen by a subject who was wanted for domestic violence offenses. These officers, including a canine, were ambushed. More officers were shot. Police officer Jacob Russell Chaffins, Prestonburg Police Department, Kentucky. Well, um, Captain Ralph Frazier, uh, Deputy Sheriff William Petrie, Floyd County Sheriff's Office. End of watch, Friday, July 1st, 2022. Uh, Sergeant John K. Williams, Cor uh, Coralville Police, Iowa, passed away after suffering a medical emergency following response to a shooting call involving a three-year-old. Sergeant John K. Williams, Coralville Police, Iowa, end of watch, July 3rd, 2022. Detention Officer Jeremiah James Story, Perry County Sheriff's Office, Arkansas. He was shot and killed while processing a subject into the Perry County Detention Center. Uh, he was standing in the restroom while the subject, who had been arrested for drug charges, was changing into jail-issued clothing. The man produced a pistol that he had concealed and shot and killed Officer Story. Detention Officer Jeremiah James Story, Perry County Sheriff's Office, Arkansas, end of watch, June 22, 2022. Sergeant Richard Lopez, Yalvapai County Sheriff's Office, Arizona, was shot and killed while attempting to arrest a subject near Stagecoach Trail at 12.45 p.m. He had responded to the area to investigate a theft and located the suspect nearby. The man shot him before fleeing and then barricading himself. Sergeant Richard Lopez, Yavapai County Sheriff's. End of watch, Tuesday, June 28, 2022. Reserve Officer Jeffrey Richardson, Petite Police Department, Texas. Now, I got to tell you, reserve officers generally work for free, putting their lives on the line.
Reserve officer Jeffrey Richardson was struck and killed by a drunk driver while directing traffic in a construction zone near Austin. Uh, he was working a secondary employment assignment when he was struck at about 2 a.m. Driver who struck him was intoxicated assault. He had five children and a wife. Reserve Officer Jeffrey Richardson, Poteet Police Department, Texas. End of watch Wednesday, June 29, 2022. Deputy Sheriff Bradley Johnson, Bibb County Sheriff's Office, Alabama. Deputy Sheriff Brad Johnson succumbed to a gunshot wound sustained the previous day at about 5 p.m. while he and another deputy were shot by an auto theft suspect. Deputies pursued the stolen vehicle until it stopped. The man opened the door, opened fire, striking Deputy Johnson and the second deputy. Deputy Johnson passed away from those injuries. Bibb County Sheriff's Office, Alabama. End of watch, Thursday, June 30th, 2022. Hundreds of police officers dying in the line of duty, many being attacked uh, by armed suspects. May they rest in peace. Well, this is the end of our show for the day. Uh, I urge you to support injured and disabled officers by going to thewoundedblue.org. These men and women are heroes. They need your help. It's a nation, nationwide 501c3 nonprofit whose mission is to aid injured and disabled officers throughout this country, whether those injuries are physical or emotional. Go to thewoundedblue.org. See how you can help. If you are an officer, you want to look at the a second annual National Law Enforcement Survival Summit. Go to thewoundedblue.org, look under events, and sign up for it. You can be a hero to these men and women, and they need you to step up. Thewoundedblue.org. Thanks for joining me again on another episode of The Voice for American Law Enforcement. You can find me on Facebook at The Voice for American Law Enforcement. Also, you can follow the Facebook and social media of The Wounded Blue. See how you can support those men and women. If you want to contact me, contact me at randy at thewoundedblue.org. Thanks again for joining me. Stay safe and back the blue.